Um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good overnight. I'm Anthony Price. And I'm JB. Well, what a week uh, it's been, uh, mainly because we've actually had some sunshine in the UK, which is quite nice. We and did. And you I've, enjoyed it much more than we have, though, right? From, I've been in the office. What about you? Well, I've been out and about. Uh, so uh, for, for listeners who follow us on a regular basis, um, I, I've got this thing called a bongo, which is a little mini camper van, um, which uh, is one of those with the little pop-up top things on the top. And it's mine's electric, so it goes zzzz, uh, which is all very exciting. Um, and uh, so I've been off for a few days in my camper van in this glorious weather. And uh, I just popped back to the shed to do a little little podcast, a little bit of work, and then back back to the fun. Back to the back to the field where I left my wife earlier. How romantic, I think. In fact, JB this morning sent me an email with a photo attachment of his wife in the sea. And I presume that was just down the road at the Ramsgate Harbour where you are you live, of course, but uh, evidently not. It was at the campsite. Yeah. Well we just we just walked down this little little trail down to the sea and she jumped in the in the sea. It's not for me, it's a little bit chilly. Uh, so I really need the Caribbean uh, or a Greek island to go in the sea. I don't really do it in the UK, to be honest. Well, this side, I've been hobbling all week because I've had a bad toe, which has not been particularly helpful, but it's been incredibly hot as well. In fact, hold on a second. My wife is just, would you mind padding for a second? Because she never calls unless there's an emergency. Yes, so, you, so you, you have, um, yeah, you, I'll you take pad. over here. And uh, so Ant's got a, a really big, bad toe, and it's something to do with gout. And I don't know why uh, he would get gout. He probably drinks quite a lot of port uh, on a Sunday afternoon uh, when he has his roast. And I could imagine him sitting there uh, with his family around him with a great big bottle of port. And uh, gradually it's ended up in his toe. And um, so, yeah, I've been padding Ant. And I've just nice. been talking. I'm just saying on Sunday lunches, you probably have a right, nice bottle of um, port to finish ah. off with and it's Are the you port that's about got you no so it, ah. so anyway i should explain my wife just rang because she's a teacher at school and as it's the last day of school term today um they have decided they're going to put a film on disney plus and she wants the username and password for disney plus for the class ah. i don't know if i've now got as in trouble with disney plus for using personal licenses for professional gain but it is a school and it's public sector so uh well um, there's so evidence yeah. now so um if you're going to get sued uh, this is where they can find all the information they need <laughs> to take you to court. Anyway, are. no. So actually, so I, I it got worse and worse. I rank, I, I've been losing weight over the last few weeks and um, apparently it can make you more prone to it because your body starts releasing toxins as it breaks down your fats, which I didn't know. Anyway, he I rang up. The, so I got a telephone appointment with a doctor on Tuesday and um, he said to me, I'm going to ask you three questions. Um, did it start on Saturday? Yes, Saturday night. Okay. Did you have a barbecue on Saturday? Um, uh, yes, we did. Did you have beer on Saturday? I went, yeah. He said, there's what's caused it. He said, you've not been drinking enough, have you? And I went, well, I drank some beer. He went, you've not been. So he said, I'm getting an awful lot of cases at the minute where people are not drinking enough normal fluid. They have a barbecue and some beers on a hot day, and that causes you having a gout attack. Good grief. And he's had, apparently, I was the fifth of the day. <laughs> wow. And I see, I didn't, I mean, I, do, I was shooting in the dark when I was thinking you have a Sunday lunch with a whole load of port. Um, but because yeah. that, I think there is an association with port and gout I think in the right. back of my mind somewhere. 
Yeah. So I've been given a list of things I can't have, which includes fish, bizarrely. I always thought fish was quite good for you, but no fish, no red meat. So I'm on white meat, lots of water, an awful lot of painkillers and this special tablet that blasts it away within a few days. But um, apparently it's not good for you to take this regularly throughout your life because it starts to erode your bones after a while. So What, the antibiotic thing? The, the chemical thing that I'm putting into my system, indeed. It's basically, I think, just flushing everything out, um, which is delightful <laughs> and it has helped me lose an extra three pounds um anyway um listeners um you will know the global leadership podcast consists of the joys of um listener questions and leadership themes all around leadership and um if you are in the live audience we love you to use the q a box to submit your leadership questions anything about leadership we jb and i like to talk about for those of you in the audience as you'll know sorry in the recorded audience if you're listening back um, global leader, global leadership podcast at gmail.com or glp at seal.com both come through to us to chew the fat in our upcoming episodes we also collect questions from our leadership webinars and a little plug for you if you go on seedle.com uh, many of the leadership webinars are hosted by jb and myself on a range of topics and sometimes we carry across the questions from those audiences because we simply don't have the time to chew the fat on them in one of our webinars because they're always one hour long Today, we have two listener questions, unless the audience live happened to submit anything in the meantime, as well as two themes. But JB has one, I have the other. And I want JB for once to go first, because he always offers me the stage first. Ah, right. Okay. So uh, we were doing some work in the week uh, with uh, one of the webinars, actually, from Seedle. And we were talking about going into conversations uh, with a beginner's mind. And we were reminded uh, then about the, the sort of qualities of going into conversations and meetings with this sort of state of curiosity, almost childlike, and how to develop that. And so I thought it'd be quite useful just to do a little bit of research for this uh, podcast mm. into the beginner's mind. And I and I thought that would be, and you, you kind of lit up when we went back into the beginner's mind area again, Ant. And I wondered what, um, kind of what inspired you about that? What was interesting to you about going back into the beginner's mind? So I believe if I'm not mistaken. So this topic came up because on one of our leadership um, webinars, it was conversation styles. And we were talking about the importance as a line manager to empower your people in certain settings to have this curious mindset. But there is a risk, there's a fine line between curious and being therefore seemingly critical of your direct reports thinking versus having this adolescent or child mindset, which is born out of curiosity. And actually I've got many children. JB has more than I do because he has two stepchildren as well as four of his own. I have four of my own. And the youngest is uh, nearly three. And he is the definition of a childlike curious mindset. He will ask me, why did you do that, Daddy? And um, what does that mean? And so he's he's quite advanced for just turn, coming up to three years old. But he asks endless questions about what that is and why does it do that? And how do you carry that? Why do you use that? Why do you stand there? And I think the beauty is, is when it comes from him, the, the, the recipient of the question doesn't feel there is a judgment on them. There is this curiosity which if an adult asks you the question, it would almost be, well, why do you do that? And mm. I think that that is, for me, that was when it went, so me and JB, I think it was on Monday afternoon, we were prepping for this Tuesday webinar on conversation styles. And it was one of the slides, and we've not delivered this session for probably a couple of months now. 
And often, because we deliver so much different material, we always have a bit of a briefing session in readiness. And um, that particular bullet on the slide really leapt off the screen because I just thought that for me really, really brings home the importance of first person positioning of the questioner. As a leader, we should have a, um, a, a, a childlike curiosity, not a curious scepticism, which I know we sometimes use when we're challenging an employee's thinking. And that's what really kind of motivated me towards this. So when you said this about topic today, it made me very excited, Mr. Bradley. Well, it just so happens that I'm doing a little bit of work for a course I'm building, uh, which I'm going to launch in January. And part of that is to do with the presentation of self in everyday life at work. And I thought, what a great place to go uh, and look at uh, a director stroke actor's view uh, of the presentation of self in, in everyday life. What do you need to sort of leave and what do you need to take into assuming a character? And anyway, out popped a quote, which I do remember um, from years ago. And uh, there's a great book called um, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, which might have some of the listeners running for the hills, but uh, it it has all sorts of brilliant quotes in it, and this is one of them. Uh, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. So uh, what this is really talking about is that sometimes when we, when we present our expert and we're in the room and we're presenting ourselves as this expert, uh, I think we can get caught up in the knowledge the history, the experience that we have, and we lose that element of curiosity. Like, you know, what happens um, when, you've, when you've gone to the top of the pole uh, and you keep on climbing? Do you fall over or do you, um, do you actually magically keep on going? Now, obviously you don't, but with a childlike mind, exactly what you were saying earlier, Ant, you know, they they want to look at a biscuit tin and they see um, the opportunity from that biscuit biscuit tin, tin. You know, they think, OK, I'll take the lid off. And actually, I could put my action men in here. I could fill it with water. I could um, put a whole load of food in there. I could put my toys in there. They can do all sorts of things. But But if you're an expert and you've just got a whole load of tins, it's a tin and it's not that interesting anymore. Um, so giving off that curiosity and presenting that curiosity uh, as a natural place to be, uh, I think is a is a is a really good thing to remind ourselves of, just to be a little bit more curious, uh, and and I think that's very much part of the facilitator's toolkit, is to naturally play that role of the inquiring mind, of the curious mind. And I, that's why I, I kind of, I wanted to just see where this went, this particular conversation um, into how do we, how do we assume uh, when we walk into a conversational meeting, that element, element of curiosity? How do we deliver that curiosity authentically without coming across as a bit of a dick? Yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. And I suspect this is even more tricky for 
people leaders that have been in place for a while that maybe haven't adopted this curious mindset with their people before. Um, because if one day you turn up and, and, you know, I know JB was on about running for the hills, probably because he thought that the book was all about tree huggers and things. But I think that there is this shift um, that we consciously have to make as how we present ourselves in one to one meetings, I guess, primarily as to how we can come across to have a more curious mindset. And the, the reason this is important for people leaders is if our direct reports don't believe we value their thinking, and to your point, JB, if we are just seemingly the expert in the room, we become an instructor of a leader, an instructional leader, rather than a coach-like leader. And JB and I both know that from experience and the data of all the survey we've done, the less instructive you are as a leader, the more sticky your employees are to you as a leader. Yes. And therefore, if you are going to spend your lifetime instructing people on how to ride their bike when they can already ride their bike better than you, give them three months after they've joined the company because the culture, the ways of working may be slightly different. If beyond three months you are still this instructive leader or you are questioning with a critical mind, the problem is your direct reports are going to start thinking that actually this person doesn't value my thinking and I'm going to scoot off to another organization where actually I feel that that leader does value my thinking. And I think if we remember as a leader ourselves, the people we want to work for again, they valued us as an individual and they valued the thinking we brought to the team. And this could be all subconscious until we start talking about this now, quite often, really, until you and me start talking about mindset and, and, uh, and coach like personalities and leadership over instructors. It struck me, actually, that of all the leaders I enjoyed working for the most and the ones I'd love to work for again, there isn't many, but the ones that I'd want to work for again have that curiosity, that coach like I, I've hired you for your knowledge and your thinking. I haven't hired you to just be a glove puppet for myself. And if I talk to some of my people, my, my, my colleagues and peers that I've worked with previously about how they're getting on at work, they either feel they're micromanaged or they feel empowered. There doesn't seem to be much between the two. Um, and in some areas, okay, it might be important that we then we have to go and instruct as a leader. But I think to your point, JB, I think what, what needs to happen to a leader is that without looking like a dick, we need to frame these conversations a bit better at the beginning to demonstrate our interest in our direct reports thinking. And I know, JB, you use um lots of things you use this thing called a funnel don't you in the yeah. beginning of a lot of your conversations to almost set the scene for the other person that you're here to listen to their thinking as opposed to tell them what to think and i think that's where these nuances if we use these nuances in our head as we're having these conversations as a leader the the transformation with the direct report sat in front of you is almost instant of oh oh I, oh <laughs> this is weird but i kind of like it and it's weird for you as well, but it's quite empowering. And we'll talk more about what that means for the director, the manager in a minute, I'm sure. So I wonder what, I wonder what the opposite of, of curiosity is. You know, I, I, I haven't actually sort of ever really thought about that. But, um, you know, if, if you are on the imaginary stage and you have your audience and the director goes, OK, good morning, Mr. Bradley. We'd like you now to demonstrate being a curious person. And you've got the stage. Three, two, one. Uh, what would what would I do? What would you do? I 
I think um, I would. I see so physically. I think I would want to my my whole body to be open. I'd, my arms would be open. My uh, I would be scanning. I'd be looking for things. Um, I'd be hoping that someone else would appear in in the on the stage, so I could demonstrate uh, some curious kind of questions like what do you, what do you think about being in this situation with me as a matter of interest because i'm feeling sort of slightly uncomfortable how are you feeling and what what is it that we should be talking about today uh on this stage and um what other things might be useful for us to discuss i'm here to demonstrate curiosity by the way so uh, help me to to actually deliver that effectively. Give me some guidance uh, on being curious. I'm curious to know what you think curious is and how, how I would best deliver a curious type of person. So that's, to me, that's quite interesting. You've got, you've got the way that you turn up physically and the questions that you ask. So uh, if if you start saying, could you, should you, could you, should you, I think you're closing down that curiosity before it even begins. Whereas if you're using what and how type questions, i.e. open questions, uh, I think you're open, open to it going in all sorts of different directions. Whereas if I wanted to say could, could you, could you just move over there? I'm beginning to direct this and I'm losing my um my look of curiosity does that make sense i think so I, it, and i'm also reflecting on the question you asked at the beginning of your your piece just then which is what's the opposite of a curious yeah. childlike mindset and i suspect it's a dictator isn't it um as in there is wow. no interest actually here's my, it, it's the ifw leader it's that you're here to sit and listen to my thinking and acknowledge the understanding of my thinking. And you're going to adopt that thinking and we'll then catch up again next week where I'll see how you're getting on with my thinking and then I'll give you some more thinking, I think. <laughs> so maybe um, it's, it's, it's got a flavour of being fixed, isn't it? You know, you, yes. So if we, if we said a curious mindset uh, versus a, a fixed mindset, uh, so the act that the director now says, okay, thank you very much for that demonstration, JB, of being curious. Now, can you show us uh, someone who comes onto the stage with a fixed mindset? Actually, let's 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 ask you, Anne. You you've got to play that role of the fixed mindset person. Uh, how would you deliver that uh, performance in three minutes? You want me to do that now? <laughs> No, I think what, what would you what do you think you might need to do to deliver that that presentation of a fixed mindset? Um, I think okay, body language is simple. It would be the crossed arms, the lack of interest, lack of eye contact. Um, I think fixed mindset as a leader would also be resistant to anyone else's thinking other than own. Um, I think there would be a, an anxiety of competitiveness of somebody else in the business doing better than I. Yeah. Um, but but a disinterest, um, I think, almost a lack of interest in other people's thinking or opinion for fear of it being conflicting with my own. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking off the top of my head here. I'm hoping, I'm hoping <laughs> no, I'm it's write. useful. It is useful. So um, I've got this book here, which is called The Art of Film Acting, oh. um, which I bought. It's by G Jeremiah Comey. And I'm told that this, if you want to be an actor, this is the book to get. And by the way, I'm not intending to become an actor, but... Have you given it to your mate Callum and Kirsty and Steve? Well, I think they probably... Know, well, I haven't asked them, but I'm sure they know all about it. They are actors, everybody, just so you know. Anyway, this section in this book, Guidance to uh, Actors, is the Beginner's Mind and the logical mind. And there's some stuff in here, which I'm just going to read and see if this guides us a little bit further about our acting skills and uh, on our stage that we've just been thinking about. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, so here's, here's my directorial guide to you for your, um, for your next stage performance when you're delivering uh, your piece. Okay. Okay. Uh, you, you have two minds and, uh, your beginner's mind and your logical mind. Uh, your beginner's mind sees, smells, hears, touches and tastes everything with curiosity, wonder and excitement. It is clear and uncluttered. Your logical mind has rules and always tries to be in control. Your beginner's mind is curious. Your logical mind, it knows everything. Your beginner's mind does not know, but it is willing to discover. Your logical mind has a history, which means that everything it thinks is tainted by the past. Your beginner's mind has no preconceptions and sees things as they really are. It is childlike in the best sense, just as children under the age of two are totally experiential. I know this, I've got a granddaughter. A baby who is attracted to a tin cup looks at it without judging it, picks it up, smells it, tastes it, drops it, grabs it again, loses interest and moves on to another object. In her first year, a baby through pure experience learns half of everything she will learn in her entire life. Wow. Is, that due, is that due to fixed mindset? God. Does in it her... set in at a certain point? In her first year, a baby, through pure experience, learns half of everything she will learn in her t entire life. That's a fact of interest. It's it, uh, 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 half of everything, as in what? what's everything? Because in terms of what capacity of brain? Because I suppose if you're learning to walk and talk and all those sorts of things, I can imagine that those are cognitive things that are critical. But in terms of knowledge, I would disagree because... I've oh. learned probably more in the last 10 years than I've learned ever in terms of stuff. I think that might be worth going back to. I think that in itself is a very, very interesting little thought. Maybe Here's I'm being little... fixed mindset in my thinking there, JB. Well, Sorry. I don't know. But uh, so think of this. I think this is really helpful for you. And um, when I ask you as your director uh, to perform as a curious person think of your beginner's mind as the mind of a child open to all possibilities non-judgmental and playful your beginner's mind has all the qualities you need to be a great actor so back on the stage 
you've done yeah. you've done the kind of the opposite of um the beginner's mind you've gone on there with a kind of fixed mind now if you're going to go back onto that so the director says to you and now thank you very much for that by the way you haven't got the you haven't got the part on that one but oh. we do we do have another part available um which is uh, it's called the beginner's mind and we'd love for you now to just um have a think and and start thinking about being uh, this curious beginner's mind person what would you bring to that role a boatload of questions i suppose is the first thing <laughs> yes um big open questions um a um inquisitive style body language so i imagine someone that's taking in everything else on the stage looking around um body language which suggests an openness um i think curiosity also comes from um as you say picking up the can dropping the can throwing it around so i think experimental stuff on the stage so as well. let me introduce I, i'm the director okay and sorry sorry in director this, so but thank you for that as we're just building up to get your part right um i'm now going to introduce a few other uh, people um onto that stage and you don't know who they are you have no idea um uh, but on they walk what are you going to do with them ask some loads of questions mm -hmm. and without breaking any rules i guess it's it's touch feel play move around interact see what happens um but through curiosity as I think to your point, using that two-year-old mindset as a sponge. So there's no, the, the, everything that's being consumed by me in that role is taken on face value without any previous experience of what may or may not happen. Okay, so let's take you out of that stage situation then mm -hmm. and um, on Monday morning or oh God. whenever, yeah. um, you're with your team, whoever you've got, so imagine, imagine the next opportunity you've got. You've got a few people around you. Um, if you were to engage them with this more curious style ant, uh, what what would you do with them? What's realistic? What's practical to to try this beginner's mind approach? Um, so I'm going to steal a couple of your things here from when you direct me previously, but you know, nonetheless, this is just an acting hypothetical thing. Yeah. Uh, I would probably, um, again, adopt a curiosity mindset of what's on your mind. What are your thoughts? What are you thinking right now? What do you want to get from the week ahead? Um, what don't I know about you that I should know? Um, um, how can I best support you this week? Um, those sorts of things, I suppose. And you're quite a playful person, I think. Oh, JB, stop. <laughs> and um, just thinking about you being, if I said to you, Ant, your people actually really love it when you're playful. Um, what, what do you think uh, they might think about you being um, at your best uh, when you're playful? What's your best playfulness techniques? That you can share with our audience our growing vast audience um oh goodness um, i know i'm putting you on the spot aren't i i think my playfulness normally comes from a uh light light mocking so gentle banter with mm -hmm. people um but also with a good lashing of self-deprecation as well 
and Lisa said self-desification, which would be that would, would certainly be appropriate show... for today. Yes, yeah, absolutely. In many reasons, um, playfulness will also be not your dad jokes, or if you are going to do dad jokes, I suppose you do that intending to be as dad jokey as possible, almost um, you know becoming a characterization of a dad joke. Um, other playfulness, I suppose would be just general demeanor i guess is you know fun so if we go back so the um your beginner's mind uh sees smells hears touches and tastes everything with curiosity wonder and excitement could you up the ante on those could you do more of that I don't know. I guess now I want to go and do a 360 survey with my team to ask them how much I do create that on a Monday morning. Ironically, just before we went live on the podcast, we were having our bi-weekly all-team call. Yeah. And, and I think we inject that with fun, excitement and playfulness. So your logical mind has rules and always tries to be in control. The, the logical mind that you have. I guess so, think, so thinking about that meeting then, how much of it was um, you in control, the, your logical mind working, and how much of it was your curious beginner's mind working? Well, that's interesting because the nature of our update calls is everybody has three minutes to do an update of the highlights of their week and what they've got from the week for everybody to understand each other's roles and responsibilities and what they've been up to. So I would say from that perspective, I was in full on listen mode. But then when I was asked for opinion um, and but I, I ultimately controlled the structure because I chaired the meeting. Um, so it would be a healthy mix of the two, I suspect. Um, I'm quite controlled with my playfulness, so I know when it's appropriate and when it's not. Um, and I also sometimes have to tailor back my um playfulness if there's a difficult part of the meeting or conversation does that answer which, your question which do you think is your natural default my natural default of being, or between the or between the yeah, two of being beginner's mind versus rational mind logical um, mind i would say more beginner's mind what would you say having worked with you uh, a lot uh, I think you're much more uh, beginner's mind, particularly at the beginning of meetings and events and things. I think you, you, you're playful at the beginning, but then I think you can get very uh, logical and, and, and very in control. You take control. Well, I know, so amusingly, me and JB talk about this metaphor of a sky bird and ground bird. Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about that for a long time, have we? No, and I feel sometimes that we recognise that some people are sky birds, they can see big picture, others are ground birds when they're on the ground pecking. Often ground birds struggle to do up there. but they're Like a chicken. Yeah. A chicken is a perfect example of a ground bird that really cannot fly. They'll give it a, a go. Yeah, whereas a sky bird can swoop down, land, do its bits and pieces and then fly off again. Um, and sometimes I worry that we're stratospheric in our skyness. <laughs> that I have to go and land the group with some ground birdie stuff, which is probably where, to your point, the controlled piece comes in. Yeah. 
But if it was just you and me, I'd probably be up in the clouds like you flying around for endless time, which is why you and me have to have deliberate ground bird meetings. So, for example, you and me do have a ground bird meeting at some point today, um, possibly not today now, given that you are due to be going back on a campsite um, <laughs> to talk about dates um, for upcoming events for clients. So um, I, the takeaway from this for me uh, is to uh, always have the balance right between the beginner's mind and the logical mind. Um, and to, to think about, you know, I, I, quite, I think VAC's quite useful here, the visual, the auditory and the kinesthetic. Um, you know, things that you touch, things that you can feel, things that... His internet was going so well up until this moment, and now he's gone all robotic. He's still robotic. Oh, have I gone? You're yeah, back now, but you you still being what, a little bit funny. Yeah, whatever you were saying then was amazing, and now you seem to be coming back into the room. Oh, good. Okay. Um, so visual, auditory, kinesthetic, introducing um, some kind of pictures and some ideas, and being playful, and having a spectrum of things that you can use to make people feel comfortable about being playful and being curious themselves because i think that's the ultimate goal isn't it it's not just about us being curious and delivering a curious style i think the key is to get other people to say well if he he's doing that i can do that i can be curious too i'm not sure why this is working the way it is i don't know how this i i, I why are we doing this you know, get into that sort of um, team curiosity and sometimes uh, maybe get into that sort of uncomfortable debate territory because we're curious. If, we, if we're, well, how come we always do this this way? I'm just curious. I don't understand because it doesn't seem to work very well. And get, get people feeling comfortable about being curious. I think it's a real thing. So our listeners then, what would you say are the, the, the top tips for them to take from this episode in terms of as a leader, how do we demonstrate curious mindset and what's the baby steps we should take if we recognize perhaps we're not a particularly curious leader, we are quite fixed or maybe we sometimes dip in and out of this fixed and curious mind for our people. You know that quote, right, just to wrap this up, the quote at the beginning of this, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the experts, there are few. I think to just to pull this right back down to the beginning, if we want to create options, generate ideas, uh, not to become complacent, not to get stuck and fixed in the way that we do things around here, we need to build cultures uh, of curiosity and therefore celebrate the beginner's mind as well as the logical mind. And I think to get that mix right uh, is really uh, the point of everything that we've just been talking about. So for me, I think um, that the things we can do slightly differently is just begin these conversations with a setting the scene comment, which is a control, ironically, to say, I want you to set the agenda today and you tell me what you want to talk about and just see where that takes you. 
What are your yeah. thoughts? What do you want to think about today? And I think that that could be quite a useful thing. Um, thank you, JB. A very interesting topic for the first half of our uh, <laughs> it was, podcast. Well, it was a bit uh, it was a bit out there. It's a bit crazy. But just as a reminder, this book is a brilliant, brilliant little book. It's called The Art of Film Acting by Jeremiah Comey. Um, and if you want to be curious about the world of acting, this is a very, very good place to start. Um, and I'm already finding very, very interesting things. I think we may well be returning to yeah. Jeremiah's Art of Film Acting. So you're going to be reading it some more on the beach whilst your wife's in the sea? It, it is exactly what I'm getting, because I'm just curious. I'm yeah. just curious. Listener question or topic two? Um, oh, let's. I think it's a bit of listener question time, I think. Okay. Uh, hello to Kerry, who has emailed this question in via the Seedle account. Yes. Which is glp at seedle.com, or you can send it to globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com. We monitor them both. The question reads, how do you capture and measure engagement of your people as a new leader? Ooh. How do you capture and measure engagement of your people as a new leader? So I'm presuming, because we only see these questions, we never really get the context. I'm presuming you're new in role. You have a team of people. Um, I don't know how far into the role you are, but you're looking to understand whether they're likely to leave or not, or how happy they are, or other stuff. And measure is the interesting word, because I do feel with um, engagement, measuring engagement, other than a survey, sometimes is interesting. Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? I'm following your um, oh. okay. thinking here, Ant, because I'm, I'm intrigued as to where you're going to go with this. Um, I think the first thing you could do is wheel out a skill will matrix mm -hmm. and say, hey, you know, let me talk to you about this thing. I was taught this thing once upon a time and it's a great way to start a conversation. And actually, you know, thinking about your role today, where are you on the skill will matrix? And the skills are basically the competencies, scale of one to 10, how competent are you? And on the vertical, it's the engagement, as in the will, how ambitious, how engaged, how happy are you, will. And so um, I would ask your direct reports one by one to plot themselves on there and then ask them what makes them be positioned there. And I think that's a really interesting starting point. And then I suppose, um, it's a know me, focus me, value me conversation coupled up with that, because if they are drifting in terms of will being slightly lower, but they're competent in their perception. And this is the thing, I guess, as, you're, as a new leader, are they going to be truly transparent about their competency level? Because they're worried that you as a new boss may be out to restructure the team. So I think a, a tender conversation of, you know, so how can we help you, you know, or framing that meeting of, curious mindset jb you were pleased to hear um you know i'm keen to support you as well as we can thinking about your roles and responsibilities you know plot yourself on this grid and i think the will thing will be interesting how honest people would be in that setting i'm less sure so i think it depends on the reputation that people believe you have when you arrive so if you are known in the team as in kerry you are new to the team but not new to the business that might be an easier task if you're brand new to the business i guess you need to make sure that there is a reputation for yourself in the first place uh, and that's where i suppose we need to be careful as we frame our first conversations that our intention is not to create an assessment center 
but actually to ask some great questions of look i'm really keen you know high high hap- happy teams are performing teams i want to make sure that we're supporting in the right way so you know and i think framing it with things like that and i want to be curious about what your ambitions are your potential what you're doing right now how happy you are in that role what competency gaps you've got in place for that. I think that would be a really interesting place to start at. That's my starter for six. Oh, my God. You're, I've got nothing else in the tank. Well, oh. I've got, I, I think maybe um, I would... I quite like this question. So uh, how about um, a question? I'd, I want... I would love three reasons... Um, that three things that that would motivate you to continue to stay in this company three things that would motivate you to stay in this company and then the second part of my uh, off the cuff piece of research here is three things that would motivate you to leave and um, then i'd want to have a conversation with people uh, in my little random survey, uh, and then I would ask for ideas uh, from everybody about how we increase engagement scores. I would, do you know, I would hand it over to them. I'd get them involved in the best measures of engagement, starting off with my little mini survey, my walkabout survey, three things uh, that would motivate you to stay three things that would motivate you to leave, discuss, um, and then we're going to, as a company, work on the best strategy uh, to engage our people in this business, including me. I've just made that up, but I'm quite interested in that idea. Does that sound mad? No, I like that idea. I um, I wonder, um, again, like I was saying on my thing, it's all about the how long you've been in the team to be able to have that trust of your intentions behind the conversation. Um, and I think so. And, and to be fair, I have done these. I mean, I'm trying to think now when I've led teams and normally the first thing I've done when I've started in a new role managing people is having a catch up with every one of them individually to say, what do you love? What do you hate? You know, what do you enjoy? What don't you enjoy? Where are your strengths? Where are your development areas? And just have a general chat to understand the people you're inheriting. Because I guess the risk is always a change of leader presents a risk to the incumbent. Mm. Because they could have been engaged under the previous leader, but they're now really upset that their leader that they have loved is gone. And that sometimes prompts change. Fortunately for me, I've tended to have taken over when things are pretty crap. So therefore, the only way is up, baby, um, which is sometimes helpful, I suppose, um, because you're more likely. And also, if you understand the legacy of your predecessor, if they were exited due to behavioural things or the style or the performance, I imagine the team's performance is going to be rock bottom. But I think sometimes these conversations are you know some of the answers jb's questions may open up could be quite interesting what's going to make you leave one of the things is that my boss that's just left asked me to come and work for them in a new place oh okay um well that's useful data isn't it so i I, the 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 clue for me uh from this question was leader so this is leader and i'd want it to be known 
that I'm just going to randomly go around talking to people, but quite a lot, uh, asking these questions. Uh, if I'm the new leader, I want it to be known that I am massively motivated by conversations with my people. And I want to know how they feel about stuff. And I really like your angle of know me, focus me, value me. That's the intent behind it. You know, so if I was to um, promote this way of uh, asking questions, I think it would be in the context of, I want to know you, I want to focus you, and I want to value you. And uh, therefore, uh, when I come to meet you, there are questions that I want to ask. And um, right now, what's most important is that I want to know what would motivate you to stay with this company and what would motivate you to leave. These are questions that are burning issues for me right now. So be ready when I come and talk to you. Uh, I'd really love to know your, I'd love to get your input. I want to hear what you have to say um, so that it will inform me about uh, a wider thing that we can do in as organization to get everybody engaged um, and uh, getting involved. There, there are obvious other things that we do, like making sure that the vision uh, for the business is really clear and understood, um, and also that we have uh, some values and assuming that this company has some values uh, that we can really kick around and make sure that they're robust enough for the for now and in the future so i'd have i'd have some pretty big conversation just frequency quality and impact of everyday conversations is what it's all about and that that's setting that kind of agenda around engagement uh and those are those are those are my ideas for now and ants and um hopefully that's useful i like it um, we have limited time, so we might go for the second listener question. Right. And if in the audience you want to submit a question, you can do in the Q&A box. You can mark it as anonymous. And we only then see your question, but not your name. We'll just say anonymous. Um, this question is another uh, named one. Steve, uh, thank you for your question. This one's, There's a couple of good questions this week. They say a workman never blames their tools, but what tools would you blame for a struggling leader? Oh, <laughs> not having enough bloody conversations, I think, would be one of the one of the things, um, <clears throat> you know, not communicating um, would be I get, I'm just going to land on that because I think you'll have different ideas. But if you if you hide away and you just do emails and you don't communicate and don't have uh, conversations and open yourself up to conversations and you're not curious in your conversations with others about you know, knowing and focusing and valuing them, uh, then you might as well pack your bag and um, go and do something else. So mine's linked to communication. And I think a leader can fail if they're not given accurate information in the term, terms of data. So if we're thinking of physical tools, it would be dashboards and data. Mm -hmm. um, I think in sales, I've seen many leaders fail because um, they don't grasp the basics, but they'll often perhaps say, yeah, but I don't know how many appointments my people have made that week and all these other bits and pieces that feed into the overall performance. So I do think JB's and mine are linked somewhat. So a workman never blames his tools, but what would a leader, a failing leader blame for their tools? So I think, yeah, lack of data, poor communication, 
Um, and therefore, I guess the technology in order to do so. So again, I don't know whether Steve, you're asking is this to fall into a trap to then go back to your employer saying, even the experts tell us we've not got webcams. But I would say, for example, having a webcam, if you're a remote leader is quite important if we're thinking of physical tools. So no, I would say spreadsheets and data and dashboards are really important because I think it navigates good conversations if we're driving performance. In terms of other tools of the people side of the agenda, I would say that leaders that fail don't have tools like the grow model, the skill will matrix as part of their DNA. And also they don't have a subscription towards Seedle. Cha-ching! Hey, brilliant. Hey. And also they need to get themselves a little book. Oh, yeah. um, and it's called The No Normal Leader by William Rogers, Jonathan Bradley and Dave Cool. Hmm. Uh, that's me, by the way. And this will give you all the guidance that you need. Um, and uh, one of the things is not to blame anyone else uh, for your cock-ups. And if you're going to fail, fail really, really well. And learn to fail really, really well. When you say learn to fail really, really well, do you mean learn to fail as in get really good at failing? Or do you mean is be, be, if you're going to fail, we're going to go down big time? Or do you <laughs> mean we're going to learn to fail and be comfortable with the failure as a way to learn? Well, um, I think most great learning uh, comes from great failing. So uh, a culture where we are exploring, uh, we are curious, uh, we try new stuff. Um, we, we've got teams that are not afraid uh, to cock up uh, now and again. But the key thing about failing well is that you learn from that cock up uh, stroke failure. Uh, a lot of people get really funny about using uh, the word failure. I don't. Uh, I think failure is good. I think getting really good at failing uh, makes people really successful in their lives. Um, dealing with it uh, and learning that is part of life, uh, not being a crazy perfectionist um, and never saying to your people, uh, we cannot afford to fail. I, I think that's just culturally uh, going to screw your business up personally it's just a personal point of view uh, you need to allow for failure um, so I'm interested about this question um, mm. it is a, it is obviously a question about failure uh, but hey you know maybe uh, the failure of a lot of uh, business failures is not being able to deal uh, with failure uh, on a on a regular basis and learning that it's part of part of a business and part of life your business i would say you've got failures yeah you've got well, things that haven't we, worked we, we wouldn't be here now if we hadn't have failed ironically but absolutely it makes you stronger absolutely um, and we've taken on some new people this week and we've said we've had six months of not failures but we've had six months of learning yeah. um when you're going into new things and new territory you don't know what you don't know uh, and that's what you learn through in the same way, I think linking back to JB's very first point today, which is this childlike mindset, actually, that's the mindset we should have. Because in the face of failure, if we have a grown up mindset to it, sometimes we're going to be relatively fixed and hurt and bruises take longer to heal the older you get. So to use that to use that metaphor, when you fall over as a kid, you get up within, well, my, my uh, two, nearly three year old whacked his head on the pavement last weekend. And he was still up running around 10 minutes later, everything fine and dandy. We're holding an ice pack to his head because he's got a blinging egg, yeah, egg yeah. coming out of his head. But his mindset suggests get up, crack on, I'm all right, thanks. Leave, don't touch me. I'm That's fine. That's so good. That's so good. 
so, so I, I was uh, this little chap harry um who um you know he, he had such fun at the same campsite i'm actually now actually and uh he learned to fail spectacularly with his jumps and his um kind of kamikaze crazy thing that he was doing around this field uh, just falling over all the time and uh he learned that failure was actually quite fun nice we're nearly at the end of the uh the hour thank you very much for your listener questions if you have a listener question feel free to submit it to glp at seedle.com or global leadership podcast at gmail.com um your plans eminently jb are well i've got to rush off um and get on a train and go back down the coast uh to another coastal resort where i am meeting my wife for a late lunch um, and then she will probably go for another swim. I will read my book. Um, I really honestly don't like swimming in cold water. It's not a thing. People say it's really good for you. I don't get it. It scares the hell out of me. Um, and I don't like stones on my feet either. And I, <laughs> I really don't. Anybody to the beach, that. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, well, I've got a sandy beach here, so that's all fine. Uh, I like being on the water. I don't like being in it particularly. And I put it down to my mother trying to teach me to swim uh, by sticking my head in the water saying you're going to love uh, having your face in the water um, and then sort of ramming my head into the water so that I got my face used to being in the water and I think uh, my mother destroyed any chance of me actually enjoying being immersed in water I do put it down to that wow that's psychological kind of crazy shit I know but you need to have a childlike mindset JB though is this, you know, well, she took away my in, in terms of water. She stole I'm, your childhood. She stole my childhood, but I love being on it. I love surfing across it. Uh, I love um, sailing. I love floating about in a boat as, as long as I don't have to put my body and face in it uh, that much. But then having said that, if it's more like a bath in the Med uh, or the Caribbean and I can just wallow about like a whale um, drinking a nice little cocktail or something that's my kind of scene <laughs> yeah um so my weekend um i think so my oldest boy is a big fan of the olympic games so i suspect we're oh, going to be watching is that on starts today in fact it... the opening ceremony starts in 35 minutes for you and i because obviously hong kong is plus eight to us and it's yeah so 2 p.m is the opening ceremony i believe um it's completely uh, passed me by this whole thing well it's, it's been touch and go whether it's going to happen or not i think yeah. as ever the first couple of days it takes a while i don't think they do anything big until i think track and field holds off but the problem is because of covid of course there's so many uh, um um what do they call them olympians isolating um you have to wonder what they're going to do about the scheduling and stuff but i have some sympathy for tokyo because they've spent what is it seven billion on average that a country spends on olympic games and none of the stadiums that they've built in many cases for the spectators will have a spectator in it oh my so, god you know a big chunk of the cash i think two-thirds of the cash is on spectator facilities Ooh. which will never be used so okay they're investing in infrastructure that goes way beyond i mean our olympic stadium is now um you know a a huge ground for sporting events concerts and things so i guess it has longevity there but um I have some sympathy, although I think they should have called it off a long time ago. So question of leadership there. And I do, mm. I have to wonder whether, you know, 
the spirit of the Olympic Games could have been brought back to London because I think um, you ask people around the world actually over the last decade they think that we held the best Olympic Games and I guess that's not hard to do when you compare it to what's about to happen and there's only been what this is the second one since. Well I read um, some sort of statistic that 80% of the um, population in Tokyo uh, didn't want the Games ahead 80 yeah, percent i read that too it's, um it's and scary. That's, yeah that's kind of i i, I don't know this uh, i so many things going on in the world at the moment i just um yeah I well anyway we'll, we'll be, be watching we'll be can't watching be the olympics because the the youngest does enjoy watching you know short sporting events so and that's a good thing with a lot of the olympic games isn't it they're you know short races um diving all that type of stuff it's quite good fun to watch so well, I shall be having a beer in the middle of the field, looking out to sea. Beautiful. Reading my at, book. At your wife in the yeah. sea. Yes. Um, I've been Anthony Price. And I've been JB. And uh, hopefully uh, we will be able to continue with a beginner's mind. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.